This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Depending on who you ask, the immigration issue could either unify Republicans or turn them into the long-term minority party. Cato scholars Alex Narasta and Emily Eakins discuss the policy and politics of a very touchy issue for the GOP, that of birthright citizenship. What is the state of birthright citizenship as a political issue? Republicans are trying to make some sort of uh, hay out of it. So what do people think generally about uh, that issue? Well, I think a little context is useful um, for explaining this. A couple of weeks ago, presidential candidate Donald Trump released his immigration platform in which he said he planned to deport all undocumented immigrants and he wanted to end essentially birthright citizenship. He said they have to go. And this led to a firestorm. All these other Republican candidates were jumping on the bandwagon. Some were just appalled. Um, And it's basically brought this issue of birthright citizenship to the forefront. All right. So, Alex, you've responded in particular to Trump's uh, statement. I mean, would you call it a policy paper? I mean, is it is it at the level of detail that you can say this is this is something uh, substantive to discuss with respect to birthright citizenship? Uh, let's just say it's on the short end of a, what a white paper would be. It's not a very serious document. It doesn't deal with too many of the objections people would make to a lot of the points that he makes. And it cites uh, very, very few sources, all of them uh, from well-known think tanks in the D.C. area that oppose legal immigration. So I don't think it's a very serious document uh, across the board. But one of the most stunning parts of it is that he wants to strip the American-born children of undocumented immigrants of their citizenship. And if even if he can't do that, he wants to remove them from the United States wholesale. So people who've lived here, gone to school here, perhaps graduated from college here, he, he would like them to he would like to strip those people of their citizenship? Yeah. People who have who live here, who are born here, who who know no other country, who only speak English, either strip them of their citizenship or just remove them regardless of their citizenship. What's sad is you can actually find a depressing precedent in American history for this. Uh, In the 1930s, there was something called the Great Mexican Repatriation, but a million Americans of Mexican descent were deported from the United States, uh, about 60% of them citizens. Wow, what uh, year was Mexico. this? This was in the uh, early 1930s wow. uh, under both the Hoover and it continued a bit under the FDR administration. But you saw places like most of East Los Angeles, for instance, which was heavily Mexican at the time, emptied out almost entirely. And what is what has Ted Cruz said about the issue? He seems to sort of split the baby in a way. He does. And it's uh, very interesting coming from the uh, such a renowned legal expert as uh, Senator Cruz. He has said that Um, You know, it could be part of the Constitution, birthright citizenship. It might not be. So he favors a two-pronged approach to getting rid of it. He favors both passing a statute and also pursuing a constitutional amendment just to see which one sticks. All right. So Emily Eakins, to you, how is this playing out in terms of uh, candidates' statements and their actual numbers when it comes to uh, this issue? Well, we've seen some interesting numbers. Now, the candidates have kind of polarized on this, and we have a long list of candidates on the Republican side. And I looked at who supports and who opposes birthright citizenship. And we've got about six candidates who say they support birthright citizenship. Not surprisingly, you've got Jeb Bush on that side, uh, Senator Marco Rubio, Carly Fiorina, and a few others. 
Those who have lined up on the other side are uh, Ben Carson, obviously Donald Trump, Bobby Jindal, uh, Rick Santorum. We've even seen Rand Paul on the other side, um, meaning that they would want they oppose birthright citizenship to the children of unauthorized immigrants. Now, three candidates have been mixed, um, in which their their statements I couldn't figure out where they stand. I think they're doing that on purpose. Um, Chris Christie, Scott Walker, and Rick Perry. And so, when you look at their polling numbers, we see something kind of funny here. When you look at the candidates who oppose birthright citizenship. They are, um, if you kind of average them, they do the best um, for the GOP nomination, meaning they're they're doing the best for in the Republican primaries. But if you look at general election matchups where you take the GOP candidate and put them against um, the Democratic candidate who's likely to be Hillary Clinton, we see those who support birthright citizenship doing the best against Hillary Clinton. So no surprise there. We see the base polarizing from average Americans um, in this kind of this hysteria um, over uh, illegal immigration. And that's not terribly surprising, at least historically. You play to the base in the primaries. You move to the center in the general election. Uh, but I presume – um, and we were talking before we record. We were started recording that a great many um, people in the United States who are immigrants or are children of immigrants. This is an issue that touches them very closely. Absolutely, um, particularly for Hispanic. Uh, Americans, uh, a majority of them are either themselves immigrants or children of immigrants. So some they themselves or someone very close to them who they love has immigrated to this country. And so it's not a surprise that if you look at the polling among Hispanics, um, they do not like Donald Trump. And you might say, well, maybe that's just partisan, um, you know, in that Hispanics are more likely to vote Democratic. Maybe they just don't like Republicans. That is not true. Um, if you take the percentage of people who have a favorable opinion of Donald Trump minus those who dislike him, he's underwater 51 points among Hispanics. But that's not true for other Republicans. For Jeb Bush, he's um, ahead 11 points. Marco Rubio is ahead, five points. Um, Fiorina, Pataki are all ahead among Hispanics. And you'll see an interesting correlation there. The people who, the Republicans who Hispanics like are those who favor, who, who like birthright citizenship, and those who they dislike um, are those who oppose birthright citizenship. As a practical political matter, the sort of nativist wing of the, of the Republican Party really was activated in 2005, 2006 in terms of uh, opposing a lot of policies that uh, might have been – I mean this was, this was something that George W. Bush was frankly very good on, uh, was immigration. And this small minority of Republicans somehow won the day. They did win the day and nationally it really began around, like you said, 2005. But it's, early, it's interesting to go back about a decade before then to California in 1994. You really see sort of this nativist wing of the GOP gain traction in that state in that year when Pete Wilson was running for re-election. You had a controversial proposition called Prop 187, which was meant to kick the kids of illegal immigrants out of schools, deny them some social services. And this really captivated and sums up the feelings of that campaign. Now, what you see is in that campaign, Pete Wilson got about 25% of the Hispanic vote. 
and in the gubernatorial elections after that, the GOP gets around 20%. But prior to this 1994 campaign, the GOP about split the Hispanic vote in California for governor. They got about 47 48%. So this sort of, uh, and as you can understand, given the demographics of California changing, um, this switch uh, all of a sudden beginning at the time when the GOP became nativist really doomed them politically uh, in the future, made it very difficult for them to gain power in that state. So it's interesting that about 11 years after that, to celebrate almost uh, the anniversary of that uh, political uh, suicide, the national GOP decided to take up the almost the exact same issue nationally. All right. Do and what's what's odd here is, you know, you, you were mentioning that the GOP in California took a nativist turn. I've done some data analysis of um, the party coalitions. And what's interesting is that not all Republicans feel this way. In fact, a majority of Republicans or plurality, depending on the poll and the wording, favor a pathway to citizenship for um, unauthorized Americans living in the country. But are these people Republican presidential primary voters? It depends. Um, primary voters are not always the same. If you look over the decades, the people who show up to vote have changed in the GOP primaries over time. In the 80s and 90s, social conservatives, pro-life voters flooded the GOP primaries, whereas in, in the past, that was not true. So what that means is um, just we're seeing those who are very concerned about immigrants uh, becoming louder and taking a more active role. But that does not mean that they're the majority. And what's interesting is over time, if you track the Gallup poll data about what should be done about immigration, there's basically three answers. One is restrict immigration further, keep it about the same, or open it up more. We see the side that wants to restrict it more drop from about 66% now to about 38%. So the percentages of the American population who supports more restrictive laws has collapsed, I would argue, in the last 20 years, but they seem to be much more loud and much more concentrated um, in one particular wing of one political party. Now, there are Democrats who are opposed to it as well, but they seem to have been uh, subsumed in the rest of the de Democratic Party. How sticky is political affiliation? It seems that if there is this uh, negative association with Republicans, it seems that uh, you're pushing a lot of recent immigrants, their children, and uh, perhaps their children's children into not wanting to identify as Republican. That's a very good point. Uh, political identification does tend to be sticky. Um, now, not 100 percent. Obviously, we see even in the polls, people are more or less willing to identify as independent or Republican, independent or Democratic. But especially for immigrants, when they're first entering the country um, and one party seems to welcome them and be glad that they're here and the other party does not seem to be thrilled with their presence, that's going to stick with them, especially for their children. Um, we know that people who are in their young adulthood, um, the things that happen during that time period stick with them in the long run. All right. So to you, Alex, what are the benefits of birthright citizenship? Well, to move beyond sort of the politics and that effect, I think there are good policy reasons to support the uh, support birthright citizenship. Uh, one of the issues with immigration in Europe and subsequent assimilation is that it's not occurring to the extent that people want. You see a lot of uh, immigrants from North Africa, the Middle East, sort of not taking up a lot of European social norms. We have the stereotype of them living in uh, housing complexes where they practice an extreme form of uh, religious or Sharia law. And uh, that's very troubling to people. But we just don't have 
that problem here in the United States nearly to the extent. And when it is when it does occur, it's sort of the odd. It's it's very odd and not the norm. And I believe that birthright citizenship in the United States is some reason why we don't have those problems. Europe doesn't have birthright citizenship. You can live in Germany, for instance, as the grandparent, as the grandkid of a Turkish migrant worker and not have citizenship in Germany. And what we see in places like Germany, Japan, and Kuwait is the kids and grandkids of people who immigrated to those countries or lived in those countries without citizenship who then don't have it themselves. Uh, They don't do as well in school. They don't do well in the labor market. Many times it's illegal for them to work. Uh, They are attracted to radical political ideologies such as communism amongst the uh, Korean minority in Japan or Islamism amongst the uh, German-born Turkish minority in in Germany. And we just don't really see that pattern here in the United States. According to the work we've done here about a political assimilation by generation, by self-identification of ideology and political party, it's fairly complete by the second generation. It's incredible, actually. Um, when you look at first generation Hispanics, there, you know, there, there are significant differences about the role of government by the second generation, um, much more similar to the average American. And by the third generation, um, attitudes towards the role of government, big government, small government, those differences disappeared completely. And I think that is incredible, that level of assimilation. It really is uh, incredible how fast it's wiped out and something when I started doing this research I did not expect. I expected the sort of uh, the line that these folks will form a permanent uh, political voting bloc, at least for several generations, as being true. But we just don't see it, especially – and one of the issues with a lot of these polls is you ask people to self-identify as Hispanic or as Asian by generation and then tell us their political viewpoints. Now. I don't think that's the best necessarily way to sample that because you're going to have generations of people born here to Mexican parents who don't self-identify as Hispanic uh, or, you know, their mother is Mexican and their father is American who came over on the, on the Mayflower. You know, how do you measure that? So if you track all of their descendants, regardless of the mixing or anything else, it washes out even faster. And that's something that I think is made much easier by citizenship in the second generation or those born here being guaranteed. And it's odd because you would – Republicans want assimilation and yet they're uh, supporting a policy that uh, you say uh, some research shows that in Europe has in part contributed to a, a prevention of that kind of assimilation. I think the greatest irony of this is that folks who talk mostly about American exceptionalism and who are most concerned about assimilation support changing a policy that has done a lot to ease assimilation. And that truly is uh, an exceptional policy. I mean, there's 30, about 30 countries in the world today that have birthright citizenship. Um, one of them is, uh, besides the United States, is Canada which also has a very successful record of assimilating successfully immigrants into their society. Uh, We contrast that with Europe, where people are not assimilating very well in, and I think it makes the choice easy. Alex Narasta is an immigration policy analyst, and Emily Eakins is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of their work at Cato.org.